You ever lose things? Anybody pretty famous for losing stuff? Don't point at other people. Own up to it yourself. It's always very easy. Yes, they lose things, my stuff, all the time. I don't like to admit that I lose things, but I will admit that I misplace things. There's a difference. Because if I say I lost something, I'm leaving less hope that at some point I'll find it. But if I say I misplaced it, I feel better about the chances of coming across it again. It's just been misplaced, not actually lost. But how many of you have lost something that was actually on your person at the time that you lost it? You know, lost your glasses on your head, lost your keys because they were in the wrong pocket. The one, the one that I do more often than I care to admit, but I'm about to admit, um, is if I'm like somewhere by myself and it's, it's quiet and I'm on my phone, I'll probably have it on speaker so I have my hands more free and I'll go to leave that place while I'm still on the phone and I'm, I'm walking and I'm going, where's my phone? I left my phone somewhere, and it's in, in my hand. All you can do when you do stuff like that is kind of shake your head at yourself and you know, make sure you're not getting older than you thought you were because it just things start to, God, I'm only 31, but it's killing me. We lose stuff. It's what we do. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about losing something. You see, there's a good chance for many of us today who are followers of Jesus, there's a good chance that we've lost something spiritual in nature along the way. Some of us have lost a, a passion for God or the things of God that we used to have. It just doesn't seem to, to be there anymore. You can look back and say, I remember when I had that passion. It just doesn't seem to be there anymore. Some of us have lost joy. Um, we had it, and it was wonderful. But over time, it slipped away. Some of us have lost faith. We, we used to have great faith, and we prayed, and we prayed, and believed that God was answering. And so when something came up, that was our first instinct was to pray. But for whatever reason... Today, we're not praying for much of anything anymore. And in most cases, we're not even sure how it is that we lost those things, that joy or that faith or that passion. In most cases, it simply happened over time. We had something very important spiritually, but we lost it along the way. And so as we finish this series based on the prophet Elijah, um, and I've absolutely loved this series. Um, We don't often hang out in the book of 2 Kings, but we have, and I, I feel like it's been great. Um, Just to kind of catch you up where we've been, in case you haven't been around, in week one, uh, John shared with us about burning plows and the idea that whatever might stand in our way of following God, we need to to deal with that. Um, The second week, uh, I shared with with you all about digging ditches, and we talked about the idea that only God can provide the water, but sometimes He's going to ask you to dig a ditch. Sometimes He's going to ask you to show your faith in Him. And then last week, Larry shared with us about gathering jars and the idea that God is, is the provider. Even when it seems like there's no hope, God is the provider. He gives that provision. And so if you've missed any of those and you want to go back and listen, I encourage you to do that. They're on our, our website. But today as we finish up the series, we're going to look at, one of, honestly, what I think is kind of one of the stranger miracles uh, in Scripture. Not necessarily, not, not to say that they're not all strange, because you could say, well, miracles in nature are supernatural. Wouldn't that qualify them as strange? Absolutely. But the one, the reason that this stands apart for me, the one reason is because It's not so clear why it happens. It just kind of seems like an everyday thing happening and just kind of a weird thing to, to weird moment for a miracle to come about. And I think you'll understand that um, as we read it. Um, Elisha himself was a part of a lot of miracles. Um, We talked about some of these. He healed a a poison water source and made it safe to drink. He at one point raised a boy from the dead. Last week we talked about him saving a widow who would have lost her sons, who had already lost her husband um, by... God working through him to provide oil that she could sell to then support herself and her sons. He once healed a man named Naaman of leprosy, a horrible skin disease that made you a complete outcast in that time. I mean, when Naaman was healed, his life changed. 
for the better. You see, God did these things, but he did them through his prophet, Elisha. This was a big deal. But today's miracle, well, very simply, here's what happened. You, you saw it in the video. A student of Elisha's borrowed an axe from someone. He was chopping a tree with it. And when the axe head flew off the handle, and, and some of you have had that happen before, axe heads come loose. When it flew off the handle, it flies into the water, into the river behind him, where it sinks. And, and I'm sure in that moment, he's assuming axe head lost. And then Elisha takes a stick, he throws it in the water, and the axe head floats to the surface. And you might say, well, that's a cool party trick, but what is that even, like, why does that matter? Yeah, you got the axe head back. Well, I want to tell you up front why it matters, and then we'll get into our story. You see, first of all, the axe head would have been made out of iron, and while you can go pick up an axe in any hardware store uh, around town, iron was harder to come by back then, and so this was a valuable tool. It, it, it says something about the relationship this student had with whoever lent it to him, that he was even given a tool. There are things that you would lend out, and there are things that you don't. You know, if you drive a, a beat-up 1984 you know, pickup truck with 300,000 miles on it and somebody needs to borrow it, you're probably going to hand it out. If you've got a new Lamborghini in the driveway, you're not passing the keys out. And so it says something that he was able to borrow this. It's also important that we understand that he was a young student of a prophet. He was a young student of Elisha. So he didn't have a lot of money of his own. And so if that axe head is lost, there's no way that he's going to be able to replace it. And then Elisha brings the axe head back, which it, it, it seems like a small thing. But I'm hoping what we can realize from this is, is to understand that God cares about little details in our lives. He cares about the little things, which should comfort us. You know, sometimes we don't want to bother God with the little things. But at the same time, we need to understand that he cares about us in every way, in the big and the small. Even a lost axe head matters. And so we're going to look at the portion of today's story. If you've got your Bible or you want to pull out your phone and pull out your Bible, or if you want to pull out your bulletin, or if you want to look at it on the screen, however you want to follow along, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6. And just as a reminder of the context, Elisha was mentored by the much more well-known prophet Elijah. And what's happening now is Elisha has been doing this long enough that he is now mentoring the next generation of young prophets. And so many young prophets, uh, in fact, so many of them wanted to learn under Elisha that the space that they're meeting and the space that they're learning in, uh, they've outgrown. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 6. One day, the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. Now, I love the attitude there. Hey, we don't have enough space. Let's, let's build a new space. Um, so if we run out of space here, we'll just expect you guys to pick up your axes, and we'll go cut the trees down back, and we'll build us a new, a new place to meet. So Elisha responds. He says, all right. He told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So we went with them. When they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Now, besides the God caring about the little things, there really is one major point I want us to remember, because we're going to keep coming back to this as we work through this study today, and that's this, that God knows how to help you find what you didn't mean to lose. A moment ago, I suggested that a lot of us have lost something spiritual in nature, and um, the truth is we didn't mean to lose it. It's not something we intended to lose, and it's important that we understand that God knows how to help us find those things that we didn't mean to lose. And so for the purposes of this study, I want the axe head in our story 
to be used as a metaphor for our spiritual edge. And what I mean by that is this. this. I would describe your spiritual edge this way. Are you passionate about your relationship with God? Is it active? Are you seeking God through Scripture and prayer on a daily basis? Are you excited to spend time with God? Are you excited to serve God? Could you be described by anyone who knows you as on fire for God? If those things are true of you, then you probably have your spiritual edge. On the other hand, if all of those things I just described are a struggle for you, if you know you need to serve, but your attitude doesn't match what you know you should do, if you forget to pray on a regular basis, if you only open your Bible on Sunday, um, if life has taken the front seat and God has taken the back seat, there are really a million ways to describe this, but I I think you, you get what it looks like to have lost your spiritual edge. When it comes to your spiritual edge, some of us have it, some of us have lost it, some of us are losing it, some of us are gaining it back, some of us have never had it, and some of us have never desired it. If you have your spiritual edge... If you're on fire for God, be thankful to God for that because it can be hard to keep that edge. And if you've lost it along the way, it's important to be willing to think about and acknowledge what contributed to that, what caused you or allowed you to lose that spiritual edge. For some, maybe you used to have uh, committed Christians around you that helped build you up and prayed for you and encouraged you. You had these friends, you had this close-knit group of people, and, and they encouraged you in the ways that mattered most but those relationships just aren't there anymore and you didn't realize how important that encouragement and that prayer was in your life and now that it's not there, it's allowed you to lose your spiritual edge. For others, maybe there was a time when you served God and His church wholeheartedly and you you truly felt that it was a blessing and a privilege to, to use the gifts that God had given you to serve Him. And sometimes it was hard, but always it was fulfilling and so it was worth it, but you got busy and you backed away from serving or even quit. And you were, you were going to get back, you were going to start again, you were going to find a new way to serve, but you never did. And now you're missing something because you know what it was like to be used by God in that way. But now life is pretty much about you. Some of you, there was a time when you had a crazy passion for prayer. You would get up early just to have an extra half an hour, an extra hour to pray. And if someone asked you to pray for them and you said, yes, I'll pray for you, not a a day went by that you didn't keep that promise and pray for that person. You you could literally have been described as a prayer warrior. And now you pray for meals or you'll pray when someone expects you to, but you haven't prayed a significant prayer in a long time. Some of us at some point in our lives really did love to share our faith with other people, had a passion for people who who didn't know God, who, who sought out people who were far from God, to, to, to build relationships with them and try to find some common ground and eventually share with them about Jesus Christ. And we were passionate about it. And now we can't remember the last time we had a spiritual conversation with someone who wasn't already a, a Jesus follower. Or this last example, and this is a biggie. Some of us, if we were really willing to honestly evaluate our lives, would notice that our standards maybe have eroded over time. Years ago, maybe you were a person who had a strong a set of Christian values that influenced your decision-making and it influenced what you allowed yourself to consume and be a part of. But over time, phrases like, it's not that bad, or it's just this once, have entered your thought process or even come out of your mouth. And things that were never okay to you before are significantly more acceptable now, and you're not entirely sure how you got there. Again, there are a lot of examples, but the point is really this. Anyone who has ever 
had that spiritual edge has the potential to lose it, to, to let it slip away because we're human. And because we have a spiritual enemy who's not a big fan of Jesus' followers who have their spiritual edge. Because a follower of Jesus who has that spiritual edge, who's truly on fire, is dangerous in such a good way. But a follower of Jesus who's lost the spiritual edge isn't much of a threat to the evil one. And I'll be honest with you, I'll tell you what threatens my spiritual edge on a regular basis. And this is going to sound weird, but church. Some weeks I spend more time in Scripture preparing for a message than I do in personal devotion. Some weeks I, I probably pray more publicly than I do on my own. Sometimes I put other people's issues onto my shoulders and I let those weigh me down and I neglect to work through my own. Sometimes I get caught up in the business side of church and I let it overshadow the spiritual. Pastor Bill Hybels once said it this way. He said, the way I was doing the work of God destroyed the work of God in me. In other words, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. There have been seasons of my life where I became a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Christ. I know that sounds impossible, but you need to understand that it is. And my guess is at some point that some of you have been a a full-time parent and a part-time follower of Christ, or a a full-time business owner and a part-time follower of Christ, or a a full-time student and a part-time follower of Christ, whatever that looks like for you. And none of those things are inherently bad. If you're going to be a parent, be a full-time parent. But when we become part-time followers of Christ, something begins to to be missing. And it's not like we do it on purpose. It's not like anybody says, I only want to be a part-time follower of Christ. But it happens as we lose our spiritual edge. And so the question becomes, how do we get that edge back? To relate it to our story, when you're swinging the axe, and the axe head flies off, how do you get it back? Well, there are really two important lessons we can learn about getting our edge back from this story. Um, I love this idea of the axe head as the metaphor for spiritual edge. It, to me, it just really works. And so the first lesson is this. We need to be willing to be honest about where we lost our edge. We need to be honest about where we lost our edge. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 6, again, we read this. Elisha is the man of God described here. He says, where did it fall? The man of God asked. And we showed him the place. Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. And the axe head floated to the surface. So when he asks him where did it fall, I believe what he's kind of saying there is, the axe head isn't necessarily gone, it's where you left it. So where did it fall? Where did you last see it? And we could ask ourselves, where did we begin to lose our spiritual edge? Because even if you hadn't before realized you might have lost it, my guess is you can look back and do a pretty good job of pinpointing where it was that you started to lose that spiritual edge. Sometimes it's a new relationship or a friendship that's or just to loosen that spiritual edge. Sometimes it's a lost relationship or a friendship, somebody who really kept you sharp. Sometimes it's a, a dropping a discipline. You know, the first day you let yourself off the hook for not praying or studying Scripture when that had been something you'd been committed to. Maybe it was the Sunday you simply chose not to make church a priority, even though you didn't have much of a reason not to come. You say, well... I just don't feel like going today. That, that might be the point where that spiritual edge started to come loose. Maybe you quit a life group. Maybe you stepped out of serving. Maybe you stopped volunteering in the community. Most likely, if you've lost your spiritual edge, you can look back and see, you know what, this is where it started to come loose. For me, it usually comes down to those moments where I, where I spend more time in Scripture for, for preparation purposes than I do for devotional purposes. 
And it becomes more about what can I say to you in this setting, or what can I say to the teenagers in that setting, than, than what it means for my life. That's where my edge starts to come loose, where it starts to shake a little bit. We have to be honest about where we lost it, because those places and situations will probably come up again, and regaining our spiritual edge also usually starts in the same places where we lost it. Which is why the second lesson is this. With God's help, we can take back what we've lost. You remember what we said, that our God specializes in helping you find what you didn't mean to lose. With His help, we can then get back what we've lost. It's not something we want to stay gone. It should be something we want to get back. And so back to 2 Kings verse, chapter 6. Verse 6 again, and then we'll add 7 this time. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe had floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. See, with God's help through the prophet Elisha, the student was able to get the axe head back. And with God's help, especially if we're willing to be honest about where we lost our spiritual edge, God can help us get that edge back. In fact, I would suggest that he wants to help us get our spiritual edge back. You see, we've kind of been following a little bit of a pattern uh, in the last couple weeks of this series. Two weeks ago, um, when we talked about ditches, we said that only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Sometimes God wants you to show that faithfulness. And last week we said that only God can multiply the oil, but sometimes he wants you to gather the jars. Well, the, the truth for today is this. Only God can make the axe head float, but he wants you to lift it out. He wants you to take back what you've lost as he brings it within reach. And for most of us in that moment where we might start to think, you know, maybe I have lost my spiritual edge, maybe I can get it back, there will almost certainly be a voice in you that says this, actually, you probably can't. It's been too long, you've gone too far, you've done too much, and you'll never get that edge back, so you might as well look back on it fondly because it's not coming back. I'll tell you what, that voice in me drives me nuts, and I kind of just want to tell it to zip it because I believe that the God we serve is the God that specializes in helping us find what we didn't mean to lose, and that if we want to get our spiritual edge back, if we want that passion and that joy and that faith and whatever that looks like in us, we want that, that God will put it in reach, and we have the opportunity to grab it. We have to go and get it. We trust God to do what we can't do, and then do what we can. I can't make the axe head float. I can't do that. But I can sure lean down and grab it. You can't manufacture spiritual passion and faith and joy and all of those things inside yourself. You can't just make that happen. But faith comes from hearing the Word of God, and so you put yourself in a position to hear God's Word. You make it a priority to study God's Word. You know that God hears and answers prayer, so you pray. Even if you don't feel like it, you have the opportunity to talk to God, so you pray. You choose worship even when you don't feel like it. You choose to share your faith even when you don't know all the answers you have to the questions you have, let alone the questions someone might ask you. You search for God again and again, and when you seek Him, you'll find Him. You do what you can do and trust God to do what you can't. And if you do that, I think you'll find your spiritual edge has returned or, or come along for the first time. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is speaking uh, to a church of people who honestly are, are where a lot of us are today, which is not where we used to be. We look back and we say, man, I was on fire right after I came to know the Lord or right after I started going to church. I was really excited about this and I've gotten a little bit comfortable and maybe even a little bit lazy and I just, I'm, it's not where I used to be. Well, here's Jesus speaking to this church and here's what he says in verses 4 and 5. 
says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. It's like he's saying, you used to have this down pat. But look how much you've slipped. And maybe you didn't even notice you've slipped, but look how much you've slipped. Turn back and do things the way you used to. Find out where you lost the axe head and we'll get it back. See, ultimately what this comes down to is this. You have to want that spiritual edge or this whole conversation is pointless. You have to want that spiritual edge or none of this matters. The, the truth is, I don't know anybody who ever set out to be a, a casual Christian or a lukewarm Christian or a part-time follower of Jesus. I don't know anybody who said, that's, that's my goal. That's kind of the top line of where I want to be. I want to be like part-time, halfway, you know. That seems like a comfortable place for me. But I know plenty of people, and I've been a person, but I know plenty of people who, who are terribly comfortable in that description. Part-time, lukewarm, casual. And for those of us who, who fit in that description or ever have, we need to decide that this matters, that we want to have passion, that we want to have that joy and that faith, that we want to have active faith, that a passion for God and being on fire for Him is worth having, that it matters. We have to decide that or none of this does. And that's why it's important that we understand that this is something God desires for us. He wants us. He wants to help us get us back, get back what we didn't mean to lose or what we didn't realize we lost. Because when it's something we want and it's something that God wants to help us with, it's something we absolutely should be able to do. You know, as I read through Scripture, I read about a God who is a God of restoration, who wants to make things whole again, who wants to, to, to restore. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verses 1 through 5, there is described this call to return to God that's given to the nation of Israel. If you know anything about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they had a real roller coaster relationship with God. And they, they would follow and they would serve Him, and then they'd get complacent or, or lazy or whatever it was, and they'd begin to turn away from God, and things would turn poor for them, of course, because they had turned away from God, and then they would cry out for God to save them, and God would come through, and it was this back and forth down through the generations. And what's written in these verses is a call to return to God, and I love this. Read this with me. In the future, when you experience all these blessings and curses I have listed for you, and when you are living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you, take to heart all these instructions. If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, and if you obey with all your heart and all your soul all the commands I have given you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all the nations where he has scattered you. Even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back again. The Lord your God will return you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will possess that land again. Then he will make you even more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. See, basically when it comes to your faith, to your spiritual edge, you should never give up on getting it back when it's been lost. Because God is not a God who gives up on people. God's people are written in this, this passage. God's people were going to be scattered in bondage, in slavery, away from home, exiled, all of those things. And it probably seemed hopeless, but, but again, not forever. And I think verse 4 is my favorite part of that. Even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, 
the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back again. No matter how far you go, God's going to bring his people back to him. See, even if your spiritual edge is flown across the river and sunk to the bottom, and it seems like a lost cause, it seems lost forever, we serve a God who wants to help you get that back. And so if that's you today, we're not just going to hope that you commit to getting your edge back. We're not just going to hope you leave and go, well, that was nice. I, that's not what we're going to do. John, John mentioned in the very first week, if you were here three weeks ago, that we were going to give you a legitimate challenge the truth is, we've spent these four weeks talking about Elisha and his ridiculous faith, but a lot of us haven't done anything that took ridiculous faith in a long time. And so, when you came in, there was um, two cards and a pen on your seat. First of all, allow me to tell you that the reason I gave you a pen is so you have no excuse not to do this if you feel like you should. Now, I don't want you to do this just because I said so. That's not a good reason. Well, what you have there are two cards, and on those cards, they're, they're identical, and that, that's also for a reason, um, and I'll explain that in a moment, but on those cards are a series of challenges that we've dubbed Ridiculous Faith Challenges. Now, I want to qualify all of these with this statement. If there's something on there that you already do, it wouldn't take ridiculous faith for you to check that and commit to doing that thing. It wouldn't take faith, because you already do it. So don't, th- these are new ideas. These are things that you're not doing already, or that you haven't done, that you could do, and, and I'm telling you, all of these things, and we're going to talk about them for just a minute. If you commit to doing these things and you follow through, I think you'll realize that as you're working through them, you find that your spiritual edge is returning, that your passion is returning, that your fire for God, that your joy, that your faith, that those things are coming on stronger because you've said, you know what, I'm going to do this. It's uncomfortable for me. It's not something I'm used to doing. It's not something I've ever done before, whatever that looks like. And it can bring that edge back. And so we're just going to talk through them real quick. I just want to explain why these matter um, and why we kind of picked the ones that we did. The first one is to read the Bible in one year. Now, some of you have a Bible and you're looking at it, well, I could probably do that. It's a challenge. That being said, I I talked to somebody this week who was currently doing a read the Bible in 90 days challenge. So y'all should be able to handle this, no problem. Um, But read the Bible in a year. If you've never read the entire Bible, um, I know that there's some places you'll get bogged down. I know there are some things that you're not going to understand, and what I'm probably doing is inviting you to ask me a whole bunch of questions about Leviticus, but that's okay. John has an advanced biblical studies degree, so I will send you to him. Um, I'm just kidding. But uh, if you want to do that one, uh, and you can do as many of these as you want to, by the way, um, there are some sample reading plans back in the link, several copies of of a couple of different versions, chronological, uh, more historical-based, and then there's one that's more... Um, based around the different types of literature and scripture so that you're not always reading the same type every day. Um, I encourage you to pick those up, check those out, or find your own. There, Go on the internet, you'll find a million reading plans uh, for how to get through the Bible in a year. But being in God's Word that much, and, and really to do it, you got to do it daily. This isn't like a once a month, oh man, I'm behind on my reading, let me read 30 days worth. No, it's an everyday thing. Um, you're going to see your spiritual edge come back because you're in the Word that much. And the second one might be tough for some of you, um, Fast from social media one month in the next six months. Basically, in the next six months, you decide, starting on this day and going for 30 or 31, depending on which month you pick days, I'm going to stay away from social media completely. Now, if you don't have social media, don't check that one and pat yourself on the back, okay? Just saying. Um, but if you do, and for my generation, listen, my generation and younger, this might kill us. I mean, it really, this has the potential to really hurt us badly, um, but it, but it also would be healthy because here's the truth behind the biblical idea of fasting. 
When you take something away, when you fast from something, when you give it up for a time period, you're supposed to fill that space with God. And so every time I would check Facebook, what should I do? I should probably open my Bible. Every time I I would tweet, I should probably pray. Do something that connects me with God instead. I'm telling you, as much as some of us spend time on social media, this could really change us and really bring that spiritual edge back. The third one, in the next 60 days, serve at least three times at the Winchester Rescue Mission. We talk a lot about the Winchester Rescue Mission. They serve a meal every single night to people who might not otherwise have a place to eat. They don't take weekends off. They don't take Sundays off. They, don't take, they, they serve the meals every night. And we already have some folks that are doing this on a regular basis. And again, if that's you, if you're already serving, don't check that one. Because that doesn't take faith. You've already taken a big step of ridiculous faith by doing that. And we are super proud of that. But if you can do that, the website's there. All you have to do is go and make that connection, and you can serve. They always need help. Always. And you can go and you can make a connection. And for some of you, that would take a huge step of ridiculous faith because it's way outside your comfort zone. It's not somewhere you're necessarily comfortable, a situation you're necessarily comfortable in, talking to people you don't know. All those kinds of things. That's why it takes faith. But that would be a great one. Um, the next couple kind of go together. Commit to serving at New Life. Commit to serving in the community. Commit to joining a life group. Commit to talking to someone about baptism. Become a member of New Life Christian Church. All of those things are ones where, if, if those are things that you've been thinking of, thinking about, if you check that, and on the back of your card, you'll see there's a spot for your name. We'd love for you to, to, to own these by putting your name on it. I understand if you don't want to do that, but that's my preference. Um, if you check those, I promise you, we'll contact you and help you figure out whichever one of those you've checked. If you, if you check serving, we're, we're going to connect with you and say, all right, you, you said you want to serve. Let's figure out where the best place for you to do that is. What are your passions? What are your talents? Those kinds of things. If you want to serve in the community, we're going to help you find a place to connect. If you want to join a life group, we're going to find the one that works for your schedule and for you. Uh, if you want to talk to somebody about baptism, I might call you this afternoon. I don't know. But I would love to talk to you about that. Becoming a member of New Life. If you've been around and you never become a member of the family here at New Life, there's no better time. And for some of you, maybe because of your, your history in church or something like that, that, that would take ridiculous faith for you to make that decision. If you check those, we're going we're gonna to contact you. We're going to help you work through those. The, the next and last one there it might sound crazy. It might sound weird. If you attend second service, commit to move to a different service for at least six months to create space for guests. Once we jump back in in the fall, those of you that have been around, you know this, this room begins to feel full during second service. And in church circles, it's said this way, if it feels full, it is full. If it seems like there's nowhere to sit, even if there are empty seats, then it's full. And if you're here every Sunday, you come in and you say, oh, there's plenty of room. But if you're a guest and you come in and you have trouble finding a place to sit, or if you're a guest with a a larger family and you come in and you can't sit together, those are things that make people not come back. And if they go to another church and they plug in, that's fine. But if they don't know Jesus and they came to us and we didn't find a way to serve them and to at least help them move closer to knowing Jesus, we fail. And so if you're a person who there's no good reason necessarily that this is the service you choose to go to and you're willing to, to for a, a set amount of time, switch to a different service. There are room in those services and there are welcoming people in those services and it's the same message in those services and the music might be a little different, but if it means another person could come to know Jesus, it might be worth it for you. So if that's you, consider that one. And then the last one that's written there, commit to being an intentional welcomer who is always ready to greet friends and guests alike. You know, we have greeters and people who stand at the doors and hand out bulletins and and we love what they do. 
We love that they're the face you see when you come in. But guests also know that those people are, are going to greet them because it's their job, that that's where they serve. But if you're a person that comes in early, especially, and you come in and you sit down in the sanctuary and all you do is sit and you don't, you don't walk around and, and greet people, or if you're a person who only comes in and you get tied up into conversations every Sunday with people you already know, we're missing opportunities to, to, to be intentional welcomers who make sure people know that we care that they're here. Because we do care that they're here, and I know that you're glad that they're here. But we need to commit to be intentional welcomers as well. And then the last one is actually my favorite. I left it blank, and I wasn't sure, um, I wasn't sure if anybody would use it. But if you've been challenged by the stories of Elisha, you say, man, it's been a while since I've taken a step of ridiculous faith. And there's something in your life, a step that you need to make that would take ridiculous faith that's not on this card. I would encourage you to write that in there. And like I said, I wasn't sure that anybody was going to use that, but I had somebody come talk to me after first service that had a, an awesome one, and I, I, won't, I didn't get his permission to share it with you, so I'm not going to, but it was awesome. I was like, I would have never thought of something like that. And he came back and he said, I just wanted you to know I, I filled in the blank one, and I thought that was really cool. So what I want you to do as we, as we move into our time of, of um, communion preparation and into communion and as we work through offering and announcements the rest of the service, if you already know, hey, listen, there are some of these challenges I absolutely should be taking on, you can go ahead and fill that out. The reason that you have two cards is because I want you to fill them both out the same, and there's a spot for information on the back, and then I want you to keep one so that you remember what you committed to, and there's a basket on the link that I want you to put the other one in, and that's going to be your way of letting us keep you accountable, and, and the same goes for us. I mean, Larry and John and I, we're going to go through these cards, but we're also going to fill out our own cards. I think, I think John and Larry already did, and, uh, and we're going to hold our, each other accountable to these as well, but we're going to, you know... We're going to call you and say, hey, you wanted information about serving, let's get you plugged in. You, know, you wanted to join a life group, let's get you in a life group. And we'll, we'll call you, we'll email you, we'll connect with you on a Sunday, whatever that looks like. But don't, don't fill this out because I want you to. Don't even fill this out because you think you should. If, if there are ridiculous faith, if there are things on here that would take faith from you, that you feel like God's calling you to do, that's when you need to fill it out. And I'd love for you to do it today, but if you're not ready to do it today, take the cards with you. That's more than fine. We're going to keep the baskets out next week. We want to give folks who weren't here an opportunity to understand what we did. But if you do these things, I'm telling you, if you do some of these things, they are going to have a positive impact. You're going to see that spiritual edge starting to return. And that's worth it. And so you've, you've got it. Uh, you got the cards. Give it some thought. And I hope and I'm really excited when I see everything. I already looked through some of the ones from first service. It's really cool, the challenges people are willing to take on. I want to be able to come back in a couple weeks and say, listen, we've got 40 people right now who are reading through the entire Bible. Like, I want to be able to celebrate that with you. So these are ridiculous faith challenges. But we only want to take them on if we really believe that that's what God wants for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that your word challenges us. We thank you for these stories in the Old Testament, these stories of Elisha that, that maybe we skim over most of the time, that most of us have never studied before. I thank you that these have, have survived for us to be able to study them. And God, it's so cool to, to see the way that you provided you know, water in the valley and, and oil in those jars as we've read through these stories. And it's amazing to read about you caring even about the, the head of an axe that was lost. Caring enough that, that Elisha could go and make that rise to the top so it could be recovered. God, so often we think that you don't care about the little things, that you don't care about the details of our lives, but I, I believe that you do. 
God, some of us have, have lost our spiritual life. Some of us have lost that excitement of what it is to know you. We've lost that passion. We've lost that drive to grow and to serve and to reach out. I pray that today, if that's us, that we would take a step, that we would check at least one thing on this list, that we would make some sort of decision today that says, I'm going to take a step of faith, and I believe that God will bless that step. Help us to not be content to just sit here. Help us not be content to just walk casually through this life. Help us not just to to follow you at at a slow pace, but to follow you at a sprint. God, as we move into this time of communion, I pray that our thoughts would be focused on you and what you'd have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.